We love you, Lord. I thank you so much for the Iron Show and for my friends, Johnny and Rick, Lord. Father, I thank you. I love you, Lord. I love you so much, Jesus. Richard, what's up? 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 And we're just sitting here drinking that tea and saying, What's up? What's up? Oh, what's up? What's up? Can I ask you a question? I'd like to welcome everybody to Number 20, Number 20, Number 20, Number 20, We are down here, and we are um, so honored to be here with our guest, William Ramsey. He is the author of the book, Prophet of Evil, Alistair Crowley, 9-11 and the New World Order. And uh, we are so honored to have him here. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, William, they're, they're, I've been listening to uh, a lot of these recent interviews driving me crazy, because there's just one question that I keep wondering when somebody's going to ask you, you know, I thought Dr. Future would ask you, I thought Derek would ask you, you know, I just keep wondering, you know, why, it's driving me crazy, why aren't they asking you the question, you know what the question is, William? Got a couple tears in my eye. <laughs> Let me go get some Kleenex. <laughs> we are here with William Ramsey, and uh, and uh, you know, I'm calling him. Hey, <laughs> welcome to the Iron Show. Rick's playing guitar. Here. Now that's not the one, Rick. Hello. Hey, how's it going, man? I'm well. How are you? Hey, all right. All right, all right, all right. You got your boots on? You're on the Iron Show now, buddy. Good. <laughs> Rick Plant. Can you hear Rick? We've been working on Mr. Crowley. Maybe. <laughs> they done in your head. Did you talk to the dead? <laughs> you can tell we're we're still kind of rough on it. <laughs> See, once Rick gets going, it's hard to make him stop and talk. So <laughs> that was great. 
right That's on. Awesome. Uh, the subject of this Iron Show is Aleister Crowley. And, uh, William, you are an Aleister Crowley expert. And um, you wrote the book, uh, Aleister Crowley, Prophet of Evil. And uh, I'd just like to ask you... Uh, could you um, kind of take us through uh, uh, the the very origins, the very beginnings of Aleister Crowley, before so we can establish really who he was, where he came from? Sure. Aleister Crowley was born in 1875 in England. He uh, was the only son of a very wealthy family. Uh, his grandfather started something called Crowley Ales, which was a beer-selling business uh, throughout England. So. He was born into uh, great wealth at that time, and estimated to be, in today ter- today's terms, around twenty million dollars. So, he had the best tutors. He was uh, he came from a very uh, rigid fundamentalist uh, subgroup of the Christian faith called the Exclusive Brethren, which was a subgroup of uh, the Plymouth Brethren. Yeah, got it. Yeah, ex- excellent. Mister Darby was uh, the founder of it, and. Uh, he was only allowed to read the Bible up until, up until the age of 12, and uh, he eventually kind of bristled and re- revolted against that. He also was a product of the English private school system, which uh, he went to some of the best private schools in England at the time were probably uh, commensurate with uh, American schools such as Andover or Exeter, these uh, very uh, elite, uh, privileged schools. But his experience there was not good. He... Uh, talked about his childhood as a childhood in hell because uh, while he was at these private schools, he was severely beaten. He uh, endured punishments that today would land uh, you know, a headmaster or a teacher in jail. Uh, he was starved. He was forced to walk uh, at, at odd times. Uh, it was actually, the punishments were so severe that he, they were afraid that he might, pass away, might die from it, uh, from renal failure. So uh, he... Uh, he also rebelled against that. I think it also gave him a perverted view of Christianity because of these the harshness of these uh, schools, the school system. So uh, he started to move toward the occult. He was able to pass the entrance exams and uh, get acceptance into Cambridge, one of the top two schools along with Oxford in England. So a uh, very elite character, aristocratic sensibilities. He and uh, you know he he uh, endeavored to become a. Uh, kind of a very important or famous person once he was at Cambridge being around a school that, uh, you know, had graduates such as Isaac Newton, Charles Darwin, and uh, Bertrand Russell, these, uh, you know, towering intellectual figures of the modern world. So uh, this influenced Crowley. Crowley also was uh, influenced by Sir Richard Burton at that time in the late 19th century. Sir Richard Burton was this adventuresome, adventurous traveler. He was one of the first Westerners to uh, go on a hajj to Mecca and Medina. He went in disguise. And so Crowley was infatuated with these tales of kind of mystery, travel, and adventure. Uh, so <clears throat> he kind of wanted to emulate that. He became a, a voracious mountain climber. He was uh, involved in expeditions that were really, uh, uh, you know, globally important ones that uh, in such places as the Himalayas that had never been uh, discovered by Westerners, and uh, he also was interested in chess. So he had uh, he had varied uh, interests, but he at one point in his life he just decided to become a full time occultist. And uh, he was he uh, you know because of his wealth and his family wealth, when he inherited it, he never had to work. So he was able to dedicate all of his time to the subject that he loved. And uh, uh, he found upon leaving Cambridge. Uh, 
a secret group of magicians that interest him. They were called the, it was called the Golden Dawn, and uh, he became a member along with uh, W. B. Yeats, uh, who wrote the Second Coming, a famous poem. He was a Wade Yeats is one of the more famous poet, poem uh, yeah. poetry writers of the 20th century, and uh, the the Golden Dawn was basically his springboard into uh, a very uh, wide ranging and uh, in depth career in the occult. Yeah, the Golden Dawn. They were uh, sort of uh, they were sort of uh, um, like the Thule Society a little bit, weren't they? I would say so. Uh, Thule means Atlantis. That's a German word for Atlantis, and uh, they seem to have all the kind of similar, uh, you know, be a similar repository for these occult ideas. The uh, the Golden Dawn was was just like that. It was a repository for all the occult ideas that were coming together in the late 19th century. So they believed in the tarot, ceremonial magic, Rosicrucian ideas. Most of the members of the Golden Dawn were all people who had passed through all of the degrees of masonry and they were looking for something more. So they were all usually 33rd degree masons. Uh, there were three founders, uh, Woodman, uh, Westcott, and Mathers. And Mathers was really a very important figure for Crowley. He was really the kind of person that Crowley emulated. Mathers never worked either. He was a dedicated occultist. He was a magician. He changed his name uh, to McGregor Mathers. He dressed as a magician. Uh, he spent his time in the libraries of Paris and London uncovering old grimoires and translating them for uh, use. Uh, two of his important books were The Kabbalah Unveiled. So there's this kind of uh, Kabbalah that uh, suffuses all of Crowley's writings. And also he... Uh, uh, there was a book called uh, the Book of Abram, Abramelin the Mage, and uh, it uh, you know is about a ritual, a six month ritual that Crowley decided to embark upon. And uh, anyway, this person Mathers was very influential. Crowley called him a scholar and a gentleman. Crowley never really praised anybody very much in his life, so when he did praise Mathers, you knew that uh, he really meant it. And he said he was a magician of uh, of high ta- of a high caliber, high talent. So. But uh, there was. This is something that a lot of people don't know. You know, uh, Crowley was. Uh, uh, he really was. He was a true believer. At one point uh, in his very early uh, formation, he was a true Christian, a true believer, and he remained a true believer, but not a Christian. Um, there was one point where he had uh, he had decided that uh, that he was going to follow Satan, and even though he was a true believer. And, uh, you know, at one point Crowley said that he couldn't, ima- like, imagine anybody else uh, not believing, you know, in the Bible. And uh, that's, that's true. He said, here's what he said. Here's a direct quote. He said, indeed, my falling away from grace was not occasioned by any intellectual qualms. I accepted the theology of the Plymouth, Plymouth Brethren. In fact, I could hardly conceive of the existence of people who might doubt it. I simply went over to Satan's side, and to this hour I cannot tell why. I was not content to believe in a personal devil and serve him in the ordinary sense of the word. I wanted to get a hold of him and personally and become his chief of staff. So he actually believed in all the Bible. He was very scholarly and knowledgeable about the Bible. He just knowingly and consciously decided not to follow it. Yeah, he uh, it, was there, there. Was there any influences uh, that you could that you could find where that turned him to Satan, or did this did this come about? Uh, of his own volition. 
It seemed like his own volition. He must have had a, for me, it was his inclinations that were established early. I think that he bristled against probably the, uh, the, what he termed, what he thought were the sterility of his upbringing, you know, only being allowed to read the Bible. Uh, he, he really liked his father. His father passed away when he was 12, but his mother really, uh, bothered him. He, he, he really, according to his writings, he really didn't like his mom, and his mom was, uh, she was, uh, very rigid, and she called him the Beast, which was a name that he right. took upon himself for the rest of his life. Uh, throughout his writings, he referred to himself as the Beast. He actually referred, you know, he identified with uh, a lot of the darker elements of the Bible. So the Scarlet Woman, the Beast, the Dragon, kind of like uh, the character from A Clockwork Orange. He really was interested in the darker elements of the Bible and revelations. But, uh, as far as his turning away, I guess he was, you know, he himself said he didn't know why, but I guess he was just attracted to the dark side. There were there were moments of, you know, uh, in his early life that he just, he was thinking about becoming a chess champ, uh, a lifelong mountain climber, or he was trying to become a member of the British Foreign Service, but uh, he just said he was drawn to this uh, occult career, and uh, that's why he went that way. I think that he also his personality, he was very arrogant and prideful person he also exhibited elements of real uh, lack of empathy and psychopathy and he recounts in his confessions uh, like a 900 page autobiography that he wrote when he was 47 of the torture and killing of a cat he wanted to prove and see if it had nine lives so he basically killed it nine times uh in nine different ways and said that he he carried out the act in the interest of pure science so now uh, being on the iron show uh, we could explore one or two of those ways. One or two of what ways? <laughs> the ways he killed the cat. Oh, well, I can read you the, the direct quote. Uh, it's a little disturbing, but... <laughs> let's be disturbed. We're on the Iron Show today. Okay, let's do it. Uh, here he says, he says, I've been told a cat has nine lives. I deduce that it must be practically impossible to kill a cat. As usual, I became full of ambition, ambition to perform the feat. I therefore caught a cat, and having administered a large dose of arsenic, I chloroformed it, hanged it above the gas jet, stabbed it, cut its throat, smashed its skull, and when it had been pretty thoroughly burnt, drowned it and threw it out the window that the fall might remove the ninth life. In fact, the operation was successful. I had killed a cat. I remember all that, that all the time I was generally sorry for the animal. I simply forced myself to carry out the experiment in the interest of pure science. So you see this kind of one element of uh, psychopathy. He was also like, I think that, you know, he was into t- torturing animals, but also he, uh, there's also a story he retells of uh, uh, taking a 10 pound uh, jar and putting two pounds of gunpowder in it and uh, playing around with it. So he also was into blowing things up as a kid. Yeah, I was yeah. too, though. Yeah, so I anyway, blew he up, blew uh, it up. And you, if you see pictures of him, he has little cuts and bruises, uh, cuts and uh, pox on his face because uh, once it blew up in his face, they said that they removed. Uh, he almost lost. Uh, he almost lost the use of an eye, but they said they removed four thousand pieces of gravel and the like from his face after this explosion. So uh, he seemed to have, uh, you know, he uh, he was a little bit of a hellraiser when he was growing up for sure. Yeah, I had a. I, my dad had a keg of red dot gunpowder in the basement, and I used to make bombs. And I blew a six foot wide hole in the backyard one time and scared my mother to death. I had shrapnel raining down all over the house, but I didn't turn out to be evil. I didn't kill any cats, and I'm. I was sitting here listening to the cat torture session and uh, clutching my kitty Nigel. Uh, we're cat lovers here on the Iron Show. 
But, yeah, that's uh, good. I mean, that's the whole thing. I mean, those are good questions. Why does somebody go to the dark side? And somebody yeah, like Curly really went passionately, you know? If he wasn't... Uh, Something he must wasn't, have drove him, you know? Yeah. Sin, I mean, he, well, he we have an answer to that. Sin is what drove him. <laughs> he loved his sin. And yeah, so, that's, so. What, that's what attracts people to that. Uh, you know, you're, we're, we're born sinners, so he kind of just went, you know, against, you know, he chose... You know his sin over everything else, and uh, when he got introduced to Plymouth Brethren, you know another unstable group. Uh, he, you know, as an you can see thus far how unstable he was because he got really creative with his, you know, killing the cat in so many ways, and you know, right. And these days he would be a modern, you know, serial killer type. You know, they would put him in like. You know, he'd he'd be locked away. You know? Probably, yeah. One thing too, we can we can we we might be able to blame his mother because you know a lot of these FBI psychologists they will tell you that some of the most evil men. Uh, the reason for that was they had some of the most wicked mothers. Uh, truly, uh, no, you can't uh, really blame it. You can't you can't really blame anybody. You know, yeah, you know, I know, but. But I understand what you mean. Well, it's nine like, well, nine out of psychiatrists do that. Nine out of ten serial kill. Nine out of ten serial killers, their mothers were prostitutes. I mean that, True. and and actually goes twenty nine out of thirty. It goes more than that. Twenty nine out of thirty known uh, serial killers, the most famous ones, their mothers were prostitutes, and probably it wasn't probably the prostitution, but the um, the uh, just just to having a really really bad mom. Just a really wicked, hateful mother is probably contributes he, uh, to he it. He recounts in one of his more blasphemous books called "The World's Tragedy" about his his mother, and uh, he does not speak about her on a very nice terms. He just said that she was always uh, she was very shrill, and uh, that she was a uh, you know you know kind of the shrill, cold mother. It seems like so. Yeah, um, let's um, let's uh, let's talk a tiny bit about you, um, just for a second. Um, I want everybody to know uh, William Ramsey um, is uh, you're you're uh, born Catholic, raised Catholic, but you're not Catholic anymore. You consider yourself a general Christian. I love that. I love that general Christian. We should start a denomination, Rick. <laughs> no, please don't. Church no, no of the more. general no Christians. Christians. Yeah. I love no that. more denominations. I'm trying to end. I'm trying to end <laughs> denomination. Bring everybody back to, uh, you know, the Westminster Confession. <laughs> I love so that I, general Christian though. What's a general Christian? I think I'm one. I'm not really sure, but I know that I don't really uh, identify with a lot of the kind of, uh, you know, any denomination. I would say that maybe a general Christian is somebody who uh, bases their beliefs on what's in the what's in the Gospels and the Bible. Uh, based on their own reading, so there's no intermediaries, no pastors, no priests, no rabbis. Only one rabbi and only one father. You know. Oh, great! I'd like to invite you back uh, to talk about theology with us too. Sure. I mean, sure, I'd be happy to. That would be a killer session. Um, but back to Crowley now. Crowley's uh, influences uh, really were pervasive throughout society. Um, he had much more of an impact. Uh, on society than we would be led to believe uh, or even imagine, and really that's the premise of your book. Let's take let's take it from uh, Crowley's later life, and could you kind of walk us through and let's explore uh, the the tree of his influence and let's explore how the branches branched out uh, to come to modern day. Sure, uh, basically Crowley, 
once he once he springboard out of the Golden Dawn, he kind of started off his own uh, occult career. That he once he learned everything he could, he was he basically started his own. He had a his his most important event of his what he considered his life occurred in 1904 in Cairo, Egypt, after he had spent uh, the night in the king's chamber at the Kiat uh, Temple of uh, or excuse me Pyramid of Cheops. Uh, he his wife at the time Rose Kelly. Uh, told him that they are waiting for you. He didn't really know what that meant, but uh, apparently there were these uh, spiritual entities that wanted, or an entity that wanted to talk to him. Uh, he was taken to the Bulak Museum, which was the uh, Egypt uh, Egyptological Museum of the time there in 1904 in Cairo, and it was directed to the Stella 666, which was uh, a Stella, which is basically a wood carving board or something. But on that Stella, there were three representations of the Egyptian uh, pantheon, uh, Nuit, Hadit, and uh, Hurpur Krat, which was a representation of the god Horus, the hawk-headed god. And uh, on further investigation with his wife, she told him that uh, they wanted him to sit down for one hour a day on uh, April 8th, 9th, and 10th of 1904 to scry or write down uh, this book, which uh, eventually became the most book important... The yeah, exactly. The Book of the Law became the most important book of Crowley's uh, basic uh, religion when he put it all together. He, uh, he said that as he sat down, you know, he was, uh, he was guided to uh, uh, write this book. He said there was a voice that it was a rich tenor or baritone of deep timber, musical and expressive, its tone solemn, voluptuous, fierce, odd else suited the mood or the message. And uh, he said it was personal contact with a being in it, of intelligence and power immensely subtler and greater than aught we can call human. So he basically had this spiritual entity talking to him out of the corner of the room, uh, and he wrote down a 65 handwritten pages. And uh, he said that, uh, you know, this was this book of the law was uh, the new uh, book for the future, and it, w- it heralded the end of the Age of Osiris, which is Crowley's way of uh, saying, you know, uh, Osiris was a representation of Jesus Christ, so it was the end of that, and that the new age was coming, this age of Horus, the crowned and conquering child, and that Crowley would be the prophet of this new aeon with a supreme commandment, which is, do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. So this was uh, a a big event for him, and uh, this kind of notion of do what thou wilt uh, was was actually from the past. There was uh, Rob Lay, who was the great... French playwright uh, had this kind of do-what-you-will mentality in one of his plays called Gargantua. And uh, also Sir Francis Dashwood of the Hellfire Clubs of the eight, of the late 18th century in London, England, on the entrance to his uh, kind of abbey or his uh, place where he held his kind of black magical rituals. Uh, it said in French, face que voudras, which means do what thou wilt. The age so, of Crowley, reason. I'm sorry? I'm sorry, I had to stick that in there. The age of reason. That's the whole thing behind that Hellfire Club and that whole era okay. there. Right. So, uh, you know, these were, uh, you know, Sir Francis Dashwood, I mean, this is a, that's a whole totally interesting story, but Dashwood was actually had all of the kind of head people in uh, England at the time coming to this Hellfire Club and even the King George III, and these were all critical figures in the American Revolutionary War. Uh, so you had, like, Lord... Sandwich and Boot and all these other characters who were involved in the Cellfire Club, and that's what uh, Benjamin we Franklin. Yeah, Benjamin Franklin actually was a friend of Dashwood. He was there. They wrote 
a, uh, a book of hymnals together, which you can imagine how perverse <laughs> and wicked that was. There's some yeah. twisted hymns. Let me tell you, it's not you like know. how firm a foundation or anything like that. Oh, yeah. So you know that, you know, these guys were up to no good. They had that Hellfire Club of Dashwood was, you know, they had uh, the Black Mass. And uh, it's an interesting story, a little kind of, you know, uh, but it was something that Crowley based upon this whole do what thou wilt, this notion of what I would consider a Luciferian notion of human freedom, which is, you know, uh, don't worry about your effect, you know, do what you want. Uh, yeah, the age so. of reason, let reason guide us. But this was a lot more of a, uh, oh, it was a lot more of a um, self-centered, uh, you know, thing, uh, way of thinking. Agreed, absolutely. And so the, the book that he wrote, it had all of his kind of ideas in it. Um, he, the word of his law was the lima. That is a, uh, the Greek word for will. And in the Kabbalah, there's a part of the Kabbalah that's called the gematria where individual words uh, have a numerical meaning. And right. the, no, the numerical number of the lima is 93. So you see this number of 93 is very important. It's also an important number uh, that 93 is the number of agape, which is love. Brotherly love, brotherly love. Right. Well, yeah, so, you know, they have the concepts, at least he had concepts of love. He also, in the uh, Book of the Law, there's a section in the first part that says, my number is 11, as all their numbers who are of us. So 11 was a a prime number for him. And uh, you can see the number 11 is suffused in the events of Uh, 9-11. He gets the number 11 from uh, back in the Golden Dawn. He, uh, one of the founders of the Golden Dawn, was a person by the name of William Westcott. He wrote a book called Numbers, Their Occult Power and Mystic Virtue. And he says about the number 11, it is the essence of all that is sinful, harmful, and imperfect. And it symbolizes destruction, violence, defeat, and death. So clearly, uh, you know, drew upon, again, upon the knowledge of the Golden Dawn. And uh, this number 11 was very important. And, and the book goes on. It gets more vicious. It's written into three parts, just like the three gods of the... Uh, of the stele at Bulak, but uh, the 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 Horus section is really the uh, the most vicious. There's uh, incredible blasphemies, killing. You know, it says, "Kill and torture, spare not, be upon them, mercy be off." Uh, you know, uh, you shall smite the peoples, and none shall stand before you. I shall give you a war engine. Uh, and then there's some really vicious blasphemies about uh, curse them, curse them, curse them. He says uh, in here. And uh, it just goes all and despise also all cowards, professional soldiers who dare not fight, all fools despise. So, you know, very nasty stuff. It goes way beyond narcissism. Yeah, and this was supposedly given to him by this being Awas. That was the character of uh, or the name of the entity that he said uh, gave him this information. Yeah, that was his main demon. That's correct. And De Ewas, he says, Ewas is an intelligence possessed of power and knowledge absolutely beyond human experience. And therefore, Ewas is a being worthy, as the current use of the word allows, of the title of a god. Yea, and verily, and amen of a god. So, you know, real blasphemous stuff. Uh, demon worship of the highest order right there. Satan himself of, could have been Ewas. He may have well, bothered. That, that, that's you know. the hidden secret, is Ewas is Satan. Right. I mean, it sure yeah. sounds like it. Be, uh, the way he's described, it sure sounds like it. And if you if you think about it in a, in a in a spiritual the spiritual layer over the re, over the over the physical uh, in history, how important it is to Satan to set up precedences and things like that. Uh, he may have dedicated himself to Crowley 
It it could you know it could indeed be that Crowley was one of the incarnations of Antichrist. Yeah, I, I think he referred to himself as Antichrist. He also referred he you know I'm, I'm, it's interesting that you came up with that. But Awas was Satan. He admits it later on in his writings, but uh, you kind of have to parse through to kind of get to you know his things. Crowley used these things called blinds. He basically were usurped terminology from Christian doctrine. And used it for his own, but and it would it could trick, and it tricked me uh, basically because you know he would use uh, words like he, Lord, uh, Holy Guardian, Guardian Angel, these terms that could be termed as Christian, but he really meant them in a completely perverted uh, opposite of those. His Holy Guardian Angel was Satan when he talked about his Lord or he with a capital H E. He was talking about the devil. So uh, at a you know topical level, when you read it, you're like, oh well, this guy. You know, believed in angels. I was actually put on a show with somebody who was a Satan worshiper, and uh, he started off with this totally amazing lie about how Crowley had a holy guardian angel, and he was uh, this this Satan worshiper was like, oh, holy, Crowley had a holy, golden holy guardian angel. So he wasn't just interested in the demonic; he was also interested in the angelic. Well, that is a, it was a flat out, straight up lie by this guy who uh, basically was trying to. To sucker or hoodwink the other host because they didn't really know what Crowley meant by his holy guardian angel, you know. But anyway, that's a little side side statement. Sorry. Anyway, uh, numbers, so- numbers. Uh, I just like the listener to know that um, you know you think about numbers being significant or, or not being significant. You know what are numbers? You know, blah blah blah. I learned about it in you know in school. There, that that's that's math. That's all that is. Well, to the believer, um, you have to really understand that numbers really are extremely significant because the Bible uh, uh, finds numbers. God finds numbers extremely significant. And, and these guys, these twisted guys that, that use, you know, the uh, 1193, 77, 175, you know, those numbers, uh, these guys really drew, you know, uh, their, their precedent was the Bible. I mean, because the Bible, God considers certain numbers very important. Agreed, and well said. I, I totally agree. I think, you know, like the Ten Commandments, that was a crucial number for the Almighty, you know, just ten, uh, you know, easily understood commandments. Uh, we see the Twelve Apostles, that's a very important number. Seven, uh, seven, all over seven is everywhere. Seven a lot. So, you know, uh, these were these are important, and numbers are important. Crowley says, you know, that you can uh, define the universe through the use of, use of math, mathematics, which is very true. I mean, you really can use mathematical uh, equations or whatever have you to really get a definition on, um, you know, everything. And also for Crowley, uh, the, for the people who are into the occult, the Kabbalah is very important. And uh, numerology of the Kabbalah suffuses, uh, like I said earlier, Crowley's all writing. He says here, the fundamentals of mathematics are the basis of the Holy Kabbalah. It is natural and prosperous proper to represent the cosmos or any part of it or any operation of it or the operation of any part of it by the symbols of pure mathematics. So, you know, this mathematical uh, element is very important. And, uh, mm. and Anyway, just to kind of continue, so the Book of the Law was the foundational document of Crowley. He went on to start his own two magical organizations. Well, he started one called the AA Argentum, Argentum Astrum, which is the silver star which refers to the moon. Uh, and that was his own magical organization. He took all of the, his earlier writings and writings that he thought were important and assigned them a number based on their Kabbalic value. So in the AA, there's like a 
and he called them Libers, which is the uh, Latin word for book. So Liber 77, Liber 93, Liber 175. And uh, so that was the AA. Then uh, he also, the OTO uh, was a German uh, secret society that came to Crowley, I think, in about 1912 uh, or 14 to complain to him because they thought they had stole, he had stole their ideas, which were uh, the ideas of sexual magic. And uh, the fact was that they, they came to the same ideas at the same time, which was instead of having what they considered uh, just the uh, rituals, they Crowley, Crowley went from the rituals of masonry and the Golden Dawn to adding drug use with his rituals and then adding sexual practice to, into his rituals. So uh, OTO and Crowley came to the conclusion at the same time. The OTO made Crowley a honorary member and gave him governance over uh, England at that time. And then eventually... Uh, Crowley in 1925 became the head of the OTO and was the head of the OTO until his death in 1947. Uh, so the OTO was very important, and then um, and still exists. It still exists today, you know. Yes, yes, it does. And there are members. I mean, you have these members, and we can get to that. It's like Jimmy Page is a member of the OTO. Uh, there are other. Uh, L. Ron Hubbard was a known member of the OTO. There was Jack Parsons. Leary. Leary. He's also a, yeah, an aluminum of Thanateros. I mean, this guy, Leary, was very much into the uh, occult and uh, very influential, too. But if you take it, you know, the problem with is people never saw their the satanic underpinnings of so many of these phony do-what-thou-wilt gurus of the 60s. And uh, uh, unfortunately, you know, it caused a lot of ruin and despair. And I don't think these people were all basically... Even the ones that are in the administration of Obama? Those guys? I don't know. I mean, I, I wouldn't doubt it. I don't have evidence, but Obama. Uh, oh, I, I know. Oh, yeah, Obama. they have the Weather Underground was really influenced by Crowley. Really? Uh, well, yeah. There's uh, the whole, even you know Obama and the whole people. They were all influenced by that. If you really look, uh, I not to mention one person, Glenn Beck. Always every week he has something to show about uh, Obama's administration, and. You know, the uh, ACORN, uh, all these organizations that are out to secularize uh, America from what America's foundation truly was, is you can see what, how it started in the 60s. This is, these all people were into Alistair Crowley really heavily because, of course, look, Timothy Leary came out and tune in, uh, tune out and drop out or whatever he, his stupid right. slogan was. You got Scientology, which is the other version of what – all this is based on what – you know, what Alistair Crowley borrowed from other sources, and when he put it all in his books, then they, people followed him, as you noticed. Right, yeah, uh, absolutely. He, you know, look at all the bands that he did, uh, you know, all the albums dedicated to him. Okay, but Ozzy didn't like, Ozzy hated him. I just want yeah, that. Ozzy didn't like him. I just want that one to go down in the record books. Well, he, his, I mean, Flying High Again is a direct uh, uh, connection to black magic practice. He may not like uh, Alistair Crowley, but Flying High Again is about astral travel, which is one of the first two things Crowley taught to his followers. So Yeah, but the uh, New Age guys are all into astral travel, too. Yeah, yeah. Ozzy's song about that was, he was basically talking about his drug usage when he was... Well, that's know, how that's how they propelled themselves into the astral plane, is through drug use. So Oh, yeah, through that, yeah, and he did that, and that was one song, but his song, Mr. Crowley, was making fun of him. Yeah, he's like, what, won't you ride my white horse, you know? Yeah, he's like, what goes on in your head, you know? He really didn't, he didn't like Crowley at all, actually. But, um, you, hey, you ever been on a show where, they, where, the, where the hosts actually argue with you? 
Not too many. I had uh, I had one on one show where they they kind of what I thought was an ambush. They put this guy who was a Satanist who was a member of a Crowley lodge and who had practiced Crowley's Gnostic Mass on, and uh, they thought that that was going to kind of. I, I guess they assumed that it was going to come to some form of higher truth as we discuss Crowley. But this guy is a liar. You know, I mean, asking for an honest answer from a Crowley follower or Satanist is a huge mistake. So it's not meritorious in any sense of the word. And this guy just kept lying. The thing is, the hosts didn't know any better. So they... Uh, they let him go. They just let him go, yeah. So Yeah, well, we're not going to argue with you. But when it comes to Ozzy, I get a little bit defensive. I mean, I know he's a terrible, <laughs> I don't terrible I don't Christian. I mean, I, I can't say that Ozzy's a good guy. We had trouble on, on the uh, interview. I, I went through it as much as, as, much as I could bear, but... Uh, you know, it was a it was an interesting show. I I would say if you're gonna put somebody on, you know, a Satanist on a show with a Christian, you should probably warn uh, both parties. Uh, you know, this is gonna happen. So uh, it was uh, it was an interesting experience. Man, I like to hear that one. That sounds yeah. radical. I bet you well, I bet you held true. your ground pretty good. Truth frequency. You can go look at it. It was uh, September 11th of all dates. Oh man. Yeah, so you can go back Truth Frequency. I, I I think it's truthfrequency.com. I really don't really have any bad feelings toward the host. I just don't think they knew what they were doing. She uh, one of the hosts of the, the poor girl said, "Oh, he used to be a left-hand path. Now he's a middle-hand path." Like, you believe that? I mean, this this guy, I mean, was unreal. So, just, go back and listen. Organized superstition these people get caught up in. I mean, just, yeah. just look at it. Just it's just one, you know, Lie that they give so much power, just another idol that they've built upon and with their hands. They've added the gold and the silver and the, you know, the mismatch. But having that, you know, somebody that we, me and Johnny went through that with a couple of uh, guys that were caught up into the occult of, uh, uh, what was it, uh, British Israelism. Oh, right. That, yeah. Johnny? yeah, yeah. Yeah, there were, it's, yeah, that was founded basically on the same. Uh, in in the same era as the Great Enlightenment, which were you know, it's like uh, replacement theologists, replacement theology. You know about replacement yep. theology? How we are Vague, actually, vaguely. yeah, it's, we're it's, actually yeah. Israel. America is Israel. Oh right. Well, I thought British Israelism was uh, John D too, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, and then the New Atlantis, all that. He he believed that we were God's chosen, or or we're going to be the New Atlantis. America was yeah, going to be. As I was studying that, John, do you know that it was a guy that founded that whole movement? That he was uh, he was in an insane asylum. Oh well, really? that helps. <laughs> that's that's good. Well, maybe was Bacon was Bacon the British Israelite Israelitist uh, as well? Uh, I don't or- think Bacon was. He was more actually what he was Rosencrucian. You know, Christian Rosencrucian. He like believed in both. He was uh, as, he, but he was really. You know, if you watch some of the Chris Penno movies, you know, to the extreme, uh, you know, Francis Bacon was, you know, he was basically a, a botanist that went, you know, a little bit just like Aleister Crowley in a different way, uh, right? In a more lighter sense, but uh, you know, but he was, you know, there's ties to Rosencrucianism with him, and that he wanted to create the new, uh, 
the new Atlantis. The yes. new Atlantis, yeah. That's that's what they believed America was. They believed America was the new Atlantis, and some of them believed that we were actually Israel because because Israel, you know, was split apart. God, God, you know, spread cast Israel apart right. and spread them throughout the nations. Well, the ten tribes, right? Right, the ten tribes, and the idea is that they became Europe. I mean, the whole of Europe, right. and that. Well, that uh, was. I mean, there are actually ties to that. If you, oh, it is uh, true. Read well, if you read some of the uh, Gospels, I think some of the letters, uh, I don't know who it is. It's either uh, John or Paul or what. But he says to the to the ten tribes of Israel. It's addressed to the ten tribes. And this is at the time of Christ. So, you know, that's a, you know, it's more recent than the Old Testament, you know, uh, reference to the ten tribes being lost in, what, 800 B.C. or something. That is and, a good uh, point. Have, have you heard the, like, have you seen the, good the family tree that the British... Uh, British royalty, royalty traces their uh, uh, lineage back to the House of David. No, but yeah. I know they do. They, they tried. To, it was one guy that did that. That uh, it was actually he was founded. The guy who did that did a really good job at, at uh, creating that. But it was it was more as I was, I was reading on with it. Uh, they discovered that he just actually did that, but it wasn't really true. It was. Yeah. It was like a design. He designed. It's like somebody did a drawing and they designed it, but they kind of like added something to it that wasn't really true. But it was like it just, yeah, it was a lot. It was a, a political. It's kind of like, a, like I said, it's kind of what the liberals are doing to American history. <laughs> right. They just make it. They they have a conclusion that they want to prove and then put all the facts together to. Yeah, I can't think of the guy's name. I had information, but it's not at my fingertips at the moment because I went through that. But. Uh, if you ever, there's a movie called and a book out Antichrist and a Cup of Tea, and uh, I've, I've heard about that. Yeah, I've heard about yeah, that. Yeah, there's a guy he kind of goes through all that. It's just not where I got the information. I got it from somewhere else. But uh, I, I think I don't, I'm not sure. I, I'm not going to misquote the guy. I don't know if he believes Antichrist and a Cup of Tea. That uh, I'm not sure if he if he truly believes that or if, if that's just uh, one of his theories. But Rick, will you? Will you skillfully segue us back into Crowley? Let's see, Alistair Crowley. Well, Alistair Crowley is all part of that too. So, and, and all that same great Enlightenment movement. So you could see where his heavily influenced. They were all into all that stuff was going on at the same time. As in, it's like it's weird because you got Spurgeon on one end, the great, you know, the the ending of the Great Awakening, right? And Spurgeon was, you know, with the big metropolitan church. At the same time, you got Karl Marx. And uh, Charles Dolan, all within 33 miles of each other. So you could see where the influences were going in 1800s, but you know, and until Crowley's birth, you know. So anyway, yeah, so I mean, they're carrying on that kind of you know, uh, you know, uh, war against Christianity. These people are actively at war, and just like you said, Leary. I mean, some of Leary's quotes are pretty amazing. He, uh, you know, he was trying to destroy the Judeo tradition power. What he called the Judeo-Christian power monolith. He said it imposed a guilty, inhibited, grim, anti-body, anti-life regression on Western civilization. So he tried to topple that, and he said it worked. He also, Leary was also, uh, uh, did everything Crowley did. He, he went to the Pyramid of Chaos. He went to Algeria to conduct the same rituals. He went to the, to he carried uh, Crowley's tarot decks around with him. And, uh, you know, so these guys were all, and then there's also Alfred Kinsey who traveled to. Oh, Kinsey. Pro, oh, yeah, Kinsey. Kinsey. He's a total fraud. 
and he went oh. to Crowley's. Uh, he Crowley in the early twenties started his own kind of Hellfire Club. It's called the Abbey of Palima, Abbey of the Will, and that was in Cefalu in Sicily. And uh, he carried on all kinds of magical rituals, and there were drugs all over the place, and you know it was totally perverse. And uh, Alfred Kinsey went there and funded uh, by the government. Yeah, with his Rockefeller Foundation money, and uh, investigated it with another Crowley follower by the name of Kenneth Anger, who incidentally is still alive today. He just had a huge showing of Crowleyanity at the Hammer Museum in Los Angeles. And yeah. Anger uh, produced that movie, uh, Lucifer Rising. Was that the name of it? He wrote the music score. Yeah, the music score. The music score was done by a guy by the name of Bobby Bouzelay, and also with Jimmy oh. Page. But Bobby Bouzelay eventually got arrested for the murder of Gary Hinman. He was part of the Manson family. Yeah. And Bouzelay was also uh, a uh, pretty much a devoted Satan worshiper. Yeah, they were really, and that whole movement was, uh, you know, they were also, if you remember, uh, I, I, I'm not sure about Anger, but about Kinsey and, and Timothy Leary and Alistair Crowley, they're all, uh, as I was reading down, they're all into child molestation as well. Yeah, uh, there was an uh, uh, incident of, of Crowley was actually banned from returning to Oxford and uh, 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 Cambridge. He was not allowed on the grounds or it was able to talk to any of the students after somebody uh, from France sent a secret. I'd love to get a hold of this letter, but they sent a letter to the head saying he was Crowley was under investigation for pedophilia in France, but there was no evidence that he was ever... Uh, found guilty of it, so Crowley was probably a pedophile as well. No, they, yeah, there's, there's some things that I totally believe because uh, just you know you have Alistair, uh, you know, uh, not, not Alistair, uh Kinsey, and you had uh, uh, Timothy Leary, I believe. So uh, there was just a whole bunch of them in that. You know, that was you know virginized. They, you know, even male or female. That's an old, you know, uh, wicked wickedness that God punished people for, especially in Sodom and Gomorrah. So it goes, that's what they were really into is, is you know, like even during uh, Carlos's younger age, by, you know, I've read that he was in, he was younger. He was, uh, he would do that with his, you know, like at the age of 13 and on, he would do, you know, go out with a male and a female prostitutes and he would get his, his chums involved with their, with that. So it started with him at a younger age. So. Yeah, Crowley was a lifelong user of prostitutes, both male and female. Yeah. He also, when he traveled to uh, Tunisia, he either bought or had some kind of black uh, uh, young boy as a you know sexual slave or some kind of weird thing. Yeah. I didn't get all the details about it, but you know, very uh, yeah. perverse and wicked behavior. Yeah, he just like I said, he went all out thinking that he was the beast. So now yeah, these. I mean, these influences, yeah. they still, his influences, they pervade uh, uh, the inner cabal that secretly uh, sends the orders out for the things that happen in this world to this day. Um, I'm talking about, I'm talking about, um, I'm talking about the uh, uh, Bohemian Grove. I'm talking about uh, the Bilderbergers. Um, I'm talking about all that, and you kind of do you do you explore any of these modern day powers that could have uh, set forth uh, the actions of 9/11? Uh, well, I do. I try to prove. Well, I didn't really. Uh, 
the gist of the book was really just to kind of give people a, uh, an understanding of a complex character a lot of people lie about. So I tried to lay a foundation based upon fact. I have 500 footnotes in the book. And I just tried to make that tie to 9-11 and the New World Order. But there's a lot more information there. There's uh, connections between Crowley and uh, the Bohemian Grove, which in my opinion is a modern hellfire club. Uh, they have similar ideas and doctrines. Uh no, I'm, I'm serious. It is a modern Hellfire Club, uh, in my opinion. Oh, yeah, yeah nobody's laughing at you. We just got background noise. Can you hear me now? Yeah, but you sound like really... <laughs> you don't like the way Uncle Robert sounds on the radio. Oh, Ro- Uncle Robert, hey, what's up? What's up? All right, Uncle Robert. Let's, you know... Uh, Who's Uncle Robert? He's he's Rick's um, best friend li- oh. and hangs out with Rick a lot. And he's a uh, couch theologian. Okay, cool. That's what I call him. He's much wiser than, than us. He's kind of like our guru. Got it. Right, Uncle Robert? Um, If you say so. <laughs> right now, I just find this whole conversation very interesting. I just have been eavesdropping through it all. Uh, do you have something to... Uh, to say about it? Oh, not yet. Oh, well. Uh, if you want to ask questions, feel free. Oh, no, I just want to see how you're tying it all together. Okay. And it's uh, very interesting so far. Good. Okay. It is. Yes. William Ramsey's an authority, so um, he's, uh, he's extremely footnoted himself. Yes, I noticed. He is uh, very intelligent on the subject matter. It's an honor to be with him today. It's an honor to be with you, William. Oh, thank you very much. It's good to be with you guys, too. Uh, oh, thank you guys for letting me eavesdrop. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, you're supposed to be on the Iron Show here with us, and uh, I'm going to break your arm if you don't. You've only got so many more days left. Yes, sir. <laughs> all right. Ah, okay. okay. All right. All right. All right. I don't know. I might be a little bit weak. Am I, am I weak, guys? Or am I... No. You sound great. Okay, cool. Thanks. All right. Um... Yeah, my I, I'm not sure about my EQ settings and stuff, but uh, anyway, um, so what, what we were kind of, we were right in the middle of trying to establish a modern, um, uh, you know, you were you were establishing a a a, a type of a uh, a grounds for a modern uh, um, sort Hellfire of club. Well, a modern Hellfire club that really could. Really, uh, in my mind, what we have is this: is this because I'm a 9/11 truther myself. Rick's not. Uh, he leans that way a little bit, though. He's undecided. But uh, I really believe that there are there there is a modern Hellfire Club that this inner cabal that really uh, throws the switches on what happens in the world, and they have been heavily influenced, of course, by Crowley and others of his ilk, and. Uh, Really have, uh, really did. Uh, they start wars. They stop wars. They do everything uh, they can to promote the beast. And in a really subliminal way, they set up uh, Hegelian dialectics to guide the sheep where they want them. And uh, could you uh, address that and lead us into um, your uh, contention about Aleister Crowley's influence on 9/11? Absolutely. The uh you know Crowley. Uh, he he was a literateur. He read and write read and wrote uh, voluminously. He left thousands of documents on a variety of different subjects, 
poetry, plays, uh, journalism, also his magical works and writings. And uh, throughout the writings, you know, he, he had these numbers that were important to him. We've talked about 11, 93, uh, 77 was one of his other important numbers. Uh, 175. Yeah, and 175. But 77 was a particularly interesting number and important to Crowley. He wrote a book called uh, Lieber 77. Lieber 77 was, or Lieber Oz. 77 equates to Oz in his system. Uh, but Lieber 77 uh, talks about uh, how there is no God but man. It's a book, what he called the rights of man. It's a totally perverse understanding of the rights of man. But he says, man has the right to love as he will, take your fill and will of love as you will, when, where, and with whom ye will. And uh, it also says man has the right to kill those who would thwart these rights. And then he says the slave shall serve. So uh, he had a pretty vicious idea of freedom, like you can do whatever you want, and if anybody gets in your way, kill them. So, the, the quiet uh, wisdom of cattle that the slaves are supposed to have. I mean, what is that? Oh, we'll just enjoy this nice pasture until we become steak. On somebody's yeah, I mean, table. Yeah, he does say that. I mean, this is like his idea. He also said that, uh, you know, the ideal uh, uh, political system for him or social system was the feudal. He says, despite all its drawbacks, there's never a better social system than the feudal so far as it is derived from the patriarchal. So here's his idea of feudalism. La lords, lords and peasants, lords and peasants. Correct. And he believed in a immoral, aristocratic, two-tiered society. He believed that uh, you should pick the diamonds out of the clay, polish them, set them as they deserve, attempt no idiotic experiments with the muck of the mine. So you will observe that I am advocating an aristocratic revolution, and so I am. And that's basically the same two-tiered system of the New World Order, a small group of controllers and a large uh, group of the controlled. And that I think that the ideas or his similar ideas on social structure are what permeates this uh, New World Order where the top just – Blatantly lies, cajoles, poisons, uh, and uh, sets people against each other, creates dialectics to steer the sheep in certain directions. Agreed. And then there's this quote that I've quoted on almost every show. He says, we should have no compunction in utilizing the natural qualities of the bulk of mankind. We do not insist on trying to train sheep to hunt foxes or lecture on history. We look after their physical well-being and enjoy their wool and mutton. In this way, we shall have a contented class of slaves who accept the conditions of existence as they really are and enjoy life with the quiet wisdom of the cattle. Oh, the so, quiet wisdom of the cattle. That just gets me. I hate that. Yeah. I mean, it's <laughs> What's up? Bad, so. What's up with that? <laughs> Sorry. It's all right. It's pretty rough. I mean, and then he's, you know, he was also a survival of the fittest type. He believed in culling the uh, human population. He said, should we not rather breed humanity for quality? by killing off any tainted stock as we do with other cattle and exterminating the vermin which infected especially Jews and Protestant Christians. So so he was a uh, Nazi, really, basically. Yeah, and there is a direct correct connection between uh, Crowley and Hitler. A lot of people don't know, but one of Crowley's followers, when Crowley, uh, in the early 19, uh, 20th century, he sent out a request for people to uh, put writing in to win an award. He offered a 1,000 pounds, which was a substantial amount of money at that time. He had one writer, the writer who wrote in a book called The Star in the West, uh, which was basically this laudatory uh, book on Crowley, was a person by the name of J.F.C. Fuller. He was a uh, he became a major general in the British Army, but he was a follower of Crowley. They both had a mutual contempt for Christian mores and values, and uh, J.F.C. Fuller was one of only two 
a Britishman or Englishman invited to Hitler's 50th birthday. Uh, so there's a direct tie between to, from Crowley to Fuller to Hitler right there, and uh, same kind of ideology. They could have, Hitler in fact, communicated theoretically. Uh, uh, they supposedly did communicate. I, I didn't find any evidence of that. There are supposedly other books out there that I did not read that have that. Uh, it's called Nazis in the Cult, which apparently they uh, talked to Crowley, but I have to dig that out. Uh, you know, I didn't I didn't come across that in, until after I finished the book. Um, so now uh, let's let take us into nine eleven. Uh, uh, I don't know how to properly segue that, but uh, well, if you could kind of yeah, sure, no problem. I can talk about it. Basically, nine eleven happened on the eleventh, so it was the eleventh day of September. And uh, you know, I, the reason I came back to Crowley was I saw these numbers that were around. 11, 77, 93, 175. Well, those are the four numbers of the uh, planes that um, uh, hit the, the World Trades or the, the their targets or were flying around uh, the United States on the day of 9/11. So those are all essential numbers. That's amazing. Right. Now, were they were they Crowley's, uh, some of Crowley's most um, uh, profound numbers, most significant numbers? Absolutely. I think 11 is really a Crowley number. There weren't. There were people who used 11, but that was a very significant number for Crowley. His, his dictum or statement, do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law, is 11 uh, syllables. It's 11 words. He also says in his, in his primary magical book that he wrote uh, called Magic in Theory and Practice, he says, first, 11 is the number of magic in itself. It is therefore suitable for all types of operations. Secondly, is it a sacred number of par excellence of the new aeon, Aeon was his word of age, so it's basically synonymous with the new age. And then he, uh, the 11 was the number referenced in his book of the law. 11 has all their numbers who are of us. So that's also a tagline. 11 is like a signal or a, you know, something to indicate somebody who's a Crowleyite is uh, the number 11. And more, even more significant, it's the number of destruction and evil. And let's focus on, you know, with the underlined word destruction. I mean, and that's Agreed. what we saw in 9-11, you know. Agreed. And then 77 is also important for him. It's like another prime number. It's uh, 7 times 11, uh, 77. It equates to the O-Z or Oz. It's a symbol of the goat or Capricorn, which is a goat is the symbol of the devil. Uh, he also says 77 represents half the formulation of sexual magic in both the OTO and the Kabbalah. It also is the Libra 77, an important uh, uh, number for his religion. And in Andor, Anton Sandor LeVay's Satanic Bible, there are 77 infernal, infernal names of the devil. So 77 was important to, uh, to his view or uh, LeVay's, you know, Satanism. And then 93 are the two words, prime words of his uh, religion, which are Thelema and Agape, both equate to 93 in the Kabbalah uh, for, uh, for in the Greek. And then in the Hebrew, Iwas uh, equates to 93 as well. So you see these, uh, this value of 93 as being important. And then 175 is one of his rituals that uh, is an invocational ritual. Uh, you invoke any deity by adoration. So it's uh, this invocation of, of a deity. I think that, uh, you know, in the whole events, I think it's an invocation of, uh, you know, an evil spirit. And, uh, you know, this is uh, all those numbers in conjunction are there. The, the Twin Towers were 110 stories, so that's like a big 11. They really were a big 11 on Ten the sky. 10 times 11. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they're just basically a two. And the, the, the 11 wasn't just a number for Crowley. It was an ideogram. It represents something in magic where two opposites attract. 
Uh, hey, can I say show. something that sure. – I'm sorry to interrupt you. Uh, that's the style of the Iron Show. We rudely interrupt our guests. That's okay. Because no, <laughs> we like to have like a dialogue rather than, a, you know. But, uh, no, I, I'll let you go. I just the, It just hit me really hard. When you get back and look at the Twin Towers, it's a big 11. Right. I mean, let me look at the look at a picture of the Twin Towers. It's a eleven. Indeed, it's there. And the, one of the <laughs> other interesting correlations that I saw is that uh, the, the planes hit like the first plane hit right around floor ninety three, and the second plane hit directly at floor seventy seven. So if you believe like I do that the planes were uh, were drones, they were fake, and you know the whole story's fake. Well, I think they were uh, real planes, just they had remote control units uh, and placed in them and there's a lot of research to back that up there was a lot of uh shady uh maintenance that went on those planes uh uh before it happened agreed i agree with you and there was some weird like uh transference that took place out of cleveland there were reports initial reports during the day of planes landing and taking off in cleveland so it's almost like you have these the real planes uh landed and the fake ones took off so Oh, okay. I've never heard that one, but I, I have heard some really good research. Alex Jones presented some really good research uh, into uh, the the idea that the um, the planes had remote controls uh, wired into them, and uh, yeah. yeah, and also it's well, and that, that's generally my opinion. They they were not flown by any person. It's very very difficult for so. even a a very skilled pilot. So that the plane was nobody flew the planes into that. You yeah, really I think that there were so many different fake uh, – uh, there was like 27 different uh, military exercises taking place that one of the exercises probably entailed uh, drone planes and then somebody took it over and just flew them right into the building, yeah. So yeah, that's how I think they. That's how I think they were. They were going to leave anything to chance. The only way so you could really the evidence of uh, the men taking over the plane was that's false. All propaganda, absolutely. You think so? Absolutely, have- I don't think it's possible. I think that I've, I've known pilots, and to, to, for them to like uh, give up some flight without sending out a transponder message uh, with uh, very slight Arabic people. I mean, these guys were like tiny. I know the pilots are tough. You know, they're in the military. It just wouldn't go down like that. Yeah, and to take them out with a box knife. I no, mean, it's just a joke. Something's wrong with that, you know. That story is funny. I don't know, though. It, you know, it still could be a possibility, though, because they have more evidence toward that than any other evidence. But the, well, the story I heard, though, Rick, the is that, that I have, I have. You know how many movies I have on this subject? I have every. I can name all the movies. I have to get the list out, but I have every nine eleven movie, and I have a lot, whole bunch of stuff, and I still. I still see that most, you know, that most of the other theories that that come out that you know it, these are possibilities and just theories, but there's more evidence toward that people that, that you know uh, that Islam hijacked those planes that they, people did it. Now I could say that they got in there easily because I believe that the UN is totally behind it more than anything else. Yeah, but uh, not not American. I don't believe any anybody in America was was part of it because. We have a major UN influence, and we have other influences here, which I believe. Oh, I think Bush is part of it. Let's kick out the UN in American soil, get them out of here, and send them to East Island or somewhere, but get them off our property so we don't have people like Amina Jed and Hugo Chavez come over here and disgrace our country and then get, kick that gun thing that's at the UN, throw that statue out of here, and throw it into the sea. 
Anyway, I just believe that the UN was be- helped the uh, hijackers. Well, the UN know, is the world order, and uh, and you know William does believe that the new world order is behind this. Yeah, I think so. I would say uh, I, don't, definitely. I don't particularly believe in a new world order because you know there's nothing new under the sun. So okay, and- Rick doesn't like the word new, but he he's on our same page. Right. Well, I, there's a, still somebody. So, there, you so, have to. So, I, I, sorry. Oh, George Soros, I think, you know, uh, is part of that little clan that, you know, like I said, I, I believe that the, it was true that uh, that Islam was behind it because of the fact there's, like I said, there's more evidence that points to that than any other evidence that anybody can come up with. There, it, it, it's like more clear on that than, you know, than ever because, but like I said, I believe that there were ways these guys got in our country, you know, to do this. Is by by that UN influence is how they got in a way with the securities being the way they were, and well, these. Yeah, guys, yeah. I just answer this that question for me. Answer this question for me. If that's the case, and it was carried out by nineteen hijackers, how did the nineteen hijackers drop Building Seven? How did they drop Building Seven? Correct. Oh no, I I like I said, I, I kind of agree that it, it was mostly like I said an, an inside job. But the inside job is, of course, I believe that it wasn't, you know, I can understand that the two towers built because it almost sounds right that, you know, the steel that got burnt right there was top heavy, right? Because, you know, I saw all, like I said, I have, I saw all those theories. I, I looked at them and, you know, and of course, building seven went down. They, they, they got rid of it. You know, they pulled it, uh, whoever it was, it was an inside job. It had to be. It was like I said. It was more to it when the it was. I know it had a lot to do with Islam because they used these guys who want who are bent on destroying America, right? Because like I said, it is an inside job in a sense. Like the progressives are the ones that are responsible. The guys that want the globalism, you know, Obama and all those people, the progressives of, of America. This, you know, the, they're all part of the UN. They're the world progressives, you know, the ones that really want. You know, it's going on. We see it. I mean. You could say that, but I just believe I, I totally I totally understand that they they set this up, you know, with those uh, with Islam, because look at what's going on. They want to build a tower in New York City. Look at that. Look, I mean, you can't, you know, they have many mosques. Yeah, but now. don't you think all that's all psyops? I mean, I thought there's a CIA connection to the whole story of the of the uh, of the mosque, and the, you know, a lot of that stuff's on TV. It's being promoted to. Uh, you know, attach you to the most emotional response, and I, I, it's all a fraud. I, for me, I see this whole thing. The myth building is just a structured, uh, long-term, long-con mind control event. Amen, yeah. amen, brother Ramsey. I actually, see, like I said, I believe in the sovereign God. Okay, so there is nothing that could happen to anybody unless God allows it. You see, there is no, you know, mind control that can deceive. It, it has to have permission of God to do anything. Maybe it has permission. How do you know he doesn't have permission? And, and of course, there's permission that's going out. But you got to yeah. remember, God is sovereign. So yeah, but Satan's he, been given his tongue. Spirit. He sends the manip- manipulating spirits. He does this to mankind. These are, you know, this is part of his wrath. And so, well, okay, well like, then, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I agree. I agree with that. With that. I, that like there could be, like I said, that these guys got easy access into those plans. Because uh, there's, like I said, there's more evidence that proves that, that you know the hijackers were Islam because Islam is bent on doing this to America. Just well, that, like, I think that's also a psyop. I don't, I don't believe that either. I've traveled to Islamic countries, 
and these aren't ravening uh, psychopaths. I think people want you to think that that's the case. I've walked around Islamic countries. They're one of the safest places to be in the entire world, I can assure you. Um, I, I beg to differ. I'm, like I said, today I'm having a class with one Egyptian who is fully Muslim. And uh, this is to, at church today. In fact, this is on this day. And me studying Islam, uh, I've been, you know, like I said, not all Islam is a peaceful religion. It's not a peaceful religion if you read, study the Quran. And well, now, I, I agree with that. I agree that there, there's like definitely I said, and I agree that, you see, like I said, it was, these guys got access, but I don't think they, they acted alone. There was, like I said, I believe, like I said, thing about it is as how the UN, you know, acts with America, how the U, how, how Obama got in, and all these things, these little ties that I understand. Now, like I said, this is just a theory. Now, I'm not gonna say this is concrete either, you know. So, but it just seems more like if you just look at it, you know, retrospectively with all all these other confusing because there's a, a whole bunch of confusing surrounding 9/11. Basically, it's supposed, it's supposed to be that way. It's supposed to be. Confusing. Yeah, it, it, but basically, if if you just sit back and you get get rid of all the other theories and you just look back, that the true theory is, I like I said, Islam was out to do it. They already been planning to do it. Um, I don't think it was all Osama bin Laden either. But I believe, like I said, if you look at the UN, you look at what's going on now in America, you know that they allow these guys to get on those planes to do that. Somebody, there was, like I said, there was a breach in security, as I agree. You know, and I can't, you can't deny the one that landed, uh, in, uh, what was it, the one that was headed toward the White House? You know, that was real. That was real. That was real phone calls. They proved it was real phone calls. It wasn't, you know, they proved it. You know, 100% they proved it. That lady, I don't think they would go out, that lady would come out and is a pawn of that. I don't, like I said, and the people that lost their families, those are real hijackers that did that. And uh, that was proven, you know. And like I said, I, I don't think the one that went into the uh, the uh, the Pentagon was uh, a real plane. I think that was right. I agree with you. That was a drone because that is on tape. So, you know, you can see where I've been with this. I have every – believe me, I have every – I had a friend send me every single movie and theory – that has to do with 9-11, everything. And I have, like I said, books on it. I have, you know, in my library, you know, I have that stuff. And I've heard your, that side, what you believe. I've heard. And so me many too. Sides. I'm on his side I, too. I don't remember. I agree with the Islam thing totally because I believe in, you know, Islam is part of, you know, uh, you know, part of prophecy a lot. I think it has more to do with prophecy and what's going to happen, you know, if there is an end than anything else. And like I said, but I believe, like I said, with you, that they use the same, you know, there's a lot of magic that goes on with the, the UN. They believe in, you know, they're very superstitious people. And so, uh, like I said, these guys, Islam, they were students, you know. And, of course, they were listening to whoever was working with Islam that's in that, you know, the whole thing with Aleister Crowley, all this stuff. I think it's, it's all, you know, that same world order that hasn't, you know, it's just the same thing, you know. But, right, I, I agree. I, 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 I respectfully disagree. I think it was a structured event. It's an intelligence op. Uh, when they went to move forward, there's, they're making sure that there's enough psychological confusion and psychological operations, if not straight-up mind war, to keep people uh, totally confused from determining, determining who the real perpetrators were. Yeah, I agree. So, I'd just like you to know that I'm, a, I'm, 
I'm I'm with your view. Uh, I differ just a little bit because I think that there were real planes with real real passengers that were remote controlled. Uh, I think they were drones, so you know, oh, they might have had passengers in there. But Actually, I don't give humans that much credit. That's like, interesting. I don't think that, that people are that smart because I don't think anybody gets away with anything according to Scripture. Uh, what everything, what will be hidden will be revealed. And, well, and uh, I, I agree with you. I think that it is being revealed slowly. I think it was lies, but most of it's being revealed. And uh, I think that, uh, unfortunately, God gave all of us free will. And some people choose to do evil things with that free will, and some people choose to do good things. So for me, it's not outside of the realm of belief that people willfully are pedophiles, murderers, uh, mass murderers, and uh, you know do wicked structured events that uh, you know benefit them. I, I think that one thing you have to look at when you look at the 9/11 event is who benefited. It certainly wasn't the Muslims. They had an entire country carved out. I mean, Iraq is gone. Uh, they've millions of people are dead, four million left, and another eight million are living under the UN poverty line, which is like a dollar a day. So I don't think that they won, and they certainly know Iraqis were involved in the event of nine eleven. So yeah, there wasn't any weapons of mass destruction yeah, it was unless Saudi they Arabia, moved them out. It was a very rich country. Amen. Okay, okay. Now Saudi Arabia, yeah, there are real enemies if you want to look at it conventionally, and but we're so in bed with them. The government, our government is so in bed with the Saudis that we can't, we have to completely gloss over that, don't we? Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, who, you know, these, uh, the, the bin Laden family themselves were shipped out of the United States right after 9 11 on carte blanche, you know, uh, planes. And Osama bin Laden used to be named Tim Osman. He used to travel around the United States. So this is no yeah. CIA no operative. Yeah, full CIA operatives for sure. Yeah, and uh, there's some that say that uh, uh, some research to prove that uh, the Bin Laden family was actually um, set up to move out before 9/11, like on on my birthday on on 9/10. Yeah, but, and I believe that. I mean, just like we were set up to go into Afghanistan before 9/11, like who who could have predicted that? How did they know 9/11 was going to happen? Or we're going to send people in. Obviously, so. people knew that it already. Like I said, it was already known. Like I said, like right. I said, I believe totally that UN was behind it. And they used the right people to do it because, like I said, Islam is bent on converting. And if, uh, if a, a true adherent of Islam uh, will do anything they can to, to dispose of their enemy, and this is uh, you know, by lying, cheating, and stealing uh, that, uh, to, for the cause of Allah. And uh, it just, it's, like I said, I, I believe that's totally true because, uh, like I said, but there was operatives that were uh, – like I said, that wanted to use these pawns because that's what they are, and to do their dirty work. And if they'd used a superstitious number to do it, then you know, yeah, I, if it was part of their plan, you know, it just that makes more sense than anything else to me. Well, let's just, talk about the day before nine eleven really quick. Um, nine ten, uh, Rick, you did not send me a birthday card, a letter, a lousy, even a lousy text message. Yes, sir. Happy did. birthday, Johnny. What? What's up yes, with I that? Did. I oh. did it on that very day. I you did, did it on YM, and you didn't get it. Oh, I'm sorry. Never mind. Never mind. Yes, and I did it. Didn't I do it on? Did I say happy birthday on Facebook? No. no. No, I no. said it personally to you on YM. Oh, okay. Never mind. 
Anyway, uh, let's, uh, uh, William, let's explore some of these numbers some more. Um, let's, let's get into, I mean, we have 11, 93, 77, and 175. Those were Crowley's major numbers, and they were also the numbers of the flights of 9-11. And uh, we've established that. And uh, why don't we talk about let's let's go through those flights. We've gone through eleven. Uh, we've gone through ninety three. We've gone through. We haven't gone through seventy. We have gone through seventy seven. Number of Oz. Uh, let's talk about one seventy five. Is there is there much on one seventy five? Well, I guess the one seventy five is just that it, it was this invocational uh, uh, ceremony that Crowley used to invoke any deity by adoration. So uh, you know, it's basically a ceremonial invocation. And uh, this was uh, something that he used to uh, contact discarnate into entities. So, um, you know, I think that uh, for him, these these all these numbers were crucial, and that's uh, basically the gist of my book is to prove that there's a connection there. And if that's the case, then you know the the full for me the the public story or the public myth that's put out. Uh, you know, it needs to be seriously questioned and probably dis- discounted uh, in its entirety. And uh, also, you know, what 9/11 did as a uh, structured event also brought in a greater uh, feudal state, a state of slavery, debts, enslavement, a destruction of our economy, uh, two bogus wars halfway around the world, and other political de- destabilizations, an attempted war with Russia. There's also events that took place all over the world, these what I consider to be fake terrorist attacks. Uh, 7-7, which took place in 2005. It was July 7th, so there's a 77 there. Uh, that was also a fake staged event. Uh, there was a 3-11 in, that took place in Madrid that killed 200 people. That was on uh, March 11th. Was the 77 uh, the London bombings? Was that? Correct. Okay. Yeah, and that was also a fake uh, stage event. That, those people were patsies. What you see is this constant uh, demonization, patsy uh, creation of these uh, poor, you know, typically they're poor Muslim people with uh, not very much education. Uh, they're usually just uh, provocateured or deceived into uh, carrying bombs or, uh, you know, turned into terrorists. So uh, that you see this, this has happened at least over ten times over the last, you know, decade where they're setting these poor people up for... Uh, to become patsies, and, and there you uh, go, there you yeah, go. So, so you know, for me, that's it's all part of a, a deep intelligence oper- operation. That's a long-term one to structure uh, global conflict and uh, you know create order out of chaos, their own order, and basically their full, full uh, end goal or the end game is uh, eugenics and the creation of a global state. And there you go. It just absolutely we're, under, we're under not, the we're UN. agreement about there. See, we're in agreement. We just have different ideas on. Yeah, you're right. They're headed towards a UN full government. I mean, look at what Obama did. He brought the UN into the United States uh, dispute. He had no about, business uh, doing that. Arizona, that whole Arizona immigration thing. Yeah. Well, what the hell does the UN have to do with that? It's a sovereign oh. issue. It's, it's a sovereignty issue. Yeah, and it's like I said, I'm a, I'm a full American patriot. Definitely old belief, uh, Christian. You know. And uh, I, I see this stuff, and I go, you know, that it, that's who's behind it. And look, look at guess who's the major funder of us? I think I think we should be looking more deeply into Soros. You know, Soros is a very sinister figure. Oh yeah, and uh, he's very, yeah, he's he's like, and, and you know, and he's so smart about when he when it comes to the economy. You know, 
Look at what he look at how many uh he's a great thief. He was one of the best thieves in you know in history, I, I believe. Uh look I at agree, what he's doing. Believe. Absolutely. Uh, he's fun he fun like I said, uh, I'm gonna say even on the Iron Show that I said like I said, I believe the whole uh last two thousand eight election was fraudulent because I just cannot believe that you got people like this uh that are in this administration now that actually people really voted him in. I just cannot I just don't have see Americans that stupid. I just think they got in there and somebody paid to get it in there. I know Soros has done it before and he's done it in other countries. If you, people look into him, you know, the countries that he ripped off by doing very similar things, you know. And so, yeah. anyway, keep going with uh, Alistair. And, I wanted to get yeah, back yeah, into the like, numbers, is, though. Is, is, is the theory of Crowley as a British spy, is that true? Yeah, from what I from what I read in my research and all the books, I and mean, one was called uh, by Jerry Spence, Agent Six Six Six. I think he uncovered some fascinating stuff about Crowley, where uh, he was able to find documents. Not he couldn't get anything from the British, but the Americans said pretty much that they knew Crowley was an asset of the British Secret Service. And while he was in the United States during World War One, Crowley wrote this pro prop uh, pro German propaganda for this uh, magazine called. The international, and uh, you know, if he was really a pro-German propagandist, he never would have uh, been let back into uh, England. For one, second, he maintained contacts with people in British intelligence for the rest of his life. He was clearly funneling information back to Britain while he was in Germany in the early 30s. He lived with another British spy. Uh, he was kicked out of France not for anything. But the, their cause of action against him was spying because Crowley was affiliated with. Uh, German secret agents, and uh, also when Crowley uh, uh, left the United States, he said, my two and a half years is done. Actually, uh, let me rephrase that. When the United States entered into war against uh, Germany, Crowley said, my two and a half years of work is completed. So he referenced that as saying, you know, basically that was one of the uh, primary aims of the British during World War One was to get the United States into the war, so... So the uh, sinking of the RMS Lusitania, what is it called, Lusitania? Yeah, and Lusitania he traveled on the Lusitania yeah. before that. Did you know that? He wrote it to yeah. America. Yeah, that's interesting. That's correct. That is correct. Yeah, so because I'm right now looking at Wikipedia. Did you write that? <laughs> Wikipedia has the whole thing on him. And I'm like, I have, I've had it here on the page the whole time. Oh, oh did yeah. you contribute to the Wikipedia entry? Uh, no, not at all. I think you should, because you could always continue. But that's everything thus far from your book. I have it. I've had it here the whole time, and this these are where I'm getting my questions for, just to be sneaky. Um, and, it's a good uh, resource. It, it's all right. I just want. I I take it. I'm like I said. I I, I find I chew. You know, I, I chew the meat and spit out the bones with everything that I I look at. You know what I mean? Except scripture. And uh, that's really good when you're reading the Book of Tao or Buddhist teachings. Yeah, because you know, I, I study on read Quran just to know who, uh, wh where they're coming from. I have one, and of course, we're going to. I'm going to Muslim training because I really have a heart for Muslims. Chew the meat, so, spit out the bones. That's really important to discern yeah, everything. Because, like I said, that's why I have uh, that theory. That, like I said, you you said it, uh, William. You said it right off the bat that these people that they're using pawns, and and you know, Muslims are not. You know, they're not that intelligent of people. One out of ten Muslims is a terrorist bent on destroying America, though. I mean, I that's a small percentage, but it's a large number. If you, you take one point. And if they use Aleister Crowley's stuff, you know, 
that could be a possibility, you know, uh, that like the UN, they follow this guy and there's a whole bunch of them that are just like him, yep. you know. Now, yeah. I'd like to go back to the numbers really quick. I know I, I got to hit rewind here because this just fascinates me. Um, we have uh, flight uh, 11, uh, 93, 77, 175. Those are all four major Crowley numbers. But then what are the odds of flight 175 flying into the 77th floor and flight 11 flying into the 93rd floor? I mean, I, I'm not, I'm no uh, genius, but uh, I can tell you right off the bat, the odds against that must be just astronomical. Yeah, I mean, you can, I've done some art, armchair, uh, you know, calculating on statistics, but it's, it's, it's infinitesimal, it's tiny, you know. It's just too strange. And, you know, just seeing the event and what it kicked off as well, that uh, it just kicked off this kind of vicious assault upon the American people, upon the people of the world. There were chemtrails, poisoning of the food and water, destruction of the economy. Uh, you know, so much uh, happened because of 9-11 that was pestilential and chaotic. That oh, what about the Patriot Act? You haven't mentioned that yet. Pardon me? The Patriot Act. You haven't mentioned that yet. Yeah, right. The Patriot Act. I mean, it just goes on and on. It's. I need to put a list together. It's probably going to be like a 50-bullet-point list, but of all the things that are negative that are traced back to 9-11, two stolen elections. I mean, for me, election in 2000 and 2004 were both stolen. And, uh, you know, it just... Uh, it's all very sad. Could you take us through the results of 9/11 and the um, I don't know the progression of it and the 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 what it what it what it did and could you sort of um, uh, 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 reconcile that with Crowley's beliefs and teachings? Is there is there a way yeah, to do I mean, that? I think that I think that I did the, my last section of the book is basically uh, based on the New World Order and I you know I basically talk about how. Uh, you see the movement uh, because of this. Uh, you know, John Coleman wrote a book called The Committee of 300 where he says the one world government and one unit monetary system under permanent non-elected hereditary oligarchists who self-select from among their numbers in a form of a feudal system as it was in the Middle Ages. So that's where we're headed. So I think that that was kind of instituted, uh, hereditary oligarchy and uh, feudal system. Uh, you're seeing this kind of eugenics taking place. Uh, I think that uh, population control, the primacy of the U.N. is trying to be put into place. I don't think anybody wants the U.N., but you see greater centralization of power, and greater centralization of power is always dangerous in any human civilization because uh, it just means power is being taken away from the people. You've got the IMF that's growing in authority, poisoning of the food, air, and water. You've got chemtrails people are spraying. I mean, there's secret government agencies spraying aluminum and uh, barium over populations. At least they uh, back down off that poison vaccines. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. And then the primacy of supernatural, supernatural institutions is becoming more prevalent. NAFTA, CAFTA, etc. Yeah, Wicca and, in the uh, military. You know how many Wiccans are in the military now? And they have they actually have um, uh, a chaplain to minister to our truth. Yeah, that's amazing. And then you have to go back and see what Bush said uh, in front of the UN in his speech toward a new world, new world order. It took place on September 11th. Yeah, Bush Senior. 
Oh, yeah. It took place on that. September 11th where he said, uh, you know, we have a chance. We have a real chance to put in this new world order. That was on nine. That was on nine eleven. What ten years earlier? Seven years earlier? <laughs> yeah, it was eleven years earlier on oh. September eleventh where he made that speech. So oh my god! What are the odds against that? How could yeah. somebody? No, how could somebody no be smart enough all, to figure out to orchestrate this? No, they're all part of, that's what they've been doing for a hundred years. I mean, come on, the first guy to really say it uh, as a president was Woodrow Wilson. So, uh, like I said, the I mean, movement. The New, New World, World Order. Order speech on 9-11, 11 years before 9-11? I mean, that's yeah. just uncanny. Yeah, and, you know, it could be, you know, like I said, that could be a, a possibility that they all predicted that would happen, and it went. It did exactly what they wanted it to do, just kind of like uh, the kids that planted, you know, that did the Columbine, and they planned, you know, Hitler's birthday. They planned it perfectly, you know? Right, right. Good point. And, so, and uh, you know, uh, they didn't... You know, I bet every year they were casting lots to figure out what day they were going to do it. And they thought, well, you know, 2001, you know, uh, here, you know, they're, you know, they're rolling the bones. Okay. Let's see what the bones say. Should we do it today or, or, you know, on this day? And you, you know, you're probably right. These guys probably very superstitious people. They had to do it on certain days thinking that some type of power would be released if they did it, which really nothing happened except, you know, the building went down and, they had to make sure that that whole area was blown up, you know. To me, it speaks of it speaks of one great entity behind all this dark, all these dark things that happen, and that's you know Satan himself, uh, the beast. I mean, he's in the background controlling all these controllers. I mean, that's and here's what here's what Crowley says. He says what nobody before me has done to prove is the existence of extra human intelligence, and my magical record does this. I err in interpretation, of course, but it is impossible to doubt. That there is somebody there, somebody capable of combining events as Napoleon forms his plans of campaign and possessed of powers unthinkably vast. And I think I know uh, who he's referring to. I'm jealous. He said that way more eloquently than me. He uh, he was he was quite a good writer. He really was. Yeah. Well, he had time to think about that and write it down. I only I only I only had to I only had to whip that out of right at the top of my head. Yeah, I mean, he had a lot of time. That was his career, was uh, basically a hardcore servant of uh, Lucifer. What do you see? Um, could you take us beyond your book? And how do you see the future of America and the world playing out? Well, I just don't see this uh, this push stopping. I see that uh, we're still kind of moving toward I, I do uh, perceive a kind of great awakening. People are getting wise to this structured plan, but... Uh, I think that they're still going to try to centralize more power, and uh, I think that that should be resisted uh, as much as possible. I think people have to be educated and aware, and they also want to. Uh, people need to recognize that it's a spiritual issue. It's uh, you know something that uh, you don't want to become part of, uh, and uh, you you know don't mess around with these entities. But as far as the world, uh, I think all Christians have to be aware that. Uh, there are evil people, uh, you know, who are serving, uh, uh, the, serving the devil and uh, instituting these uh, these evil uh, schemes uh, all over the world for their nefarious end, which is fi- a final end, which is, uh, you know, basically I think well, how the world will end or the final chapter of the world is the uh, institution of a new false messiah. And, the beast. Uh, the beast, yeah. And that's what they're headed to. And that's what they're pushing, everything moving forward. 
so I don't know how soon. I don't. I'm not like a believer in the world's going to end tomorrow. But you see this theme, you see this uh, current, and uh, you know it's continued up to Crowley through Crowley and to the present day. Yeah, Rick and I differ uh, on the Iron Show. I believe we're here in these end times. Rick could. Rick sees that it could play out for a hundred years, another thousand years, even. Oh, I um, just say it's continuing on going, and that Christ is just going to interrupt the world. You know, just like he did before, after uh, Michalczyk's death, you see that he, it's just going to happen the same way again, except Jesus yeah. is going to come back the same way he left. No. And like I said, the one thing I mean, that yeah. stands out to me is that they will be given in marriage and then, you know, in marriage, like in the days of no, and then the Lord is just going to appear. And like lightning flashes from east to west, he just, bam, it's going to happen. And, and the end of uh, the city of man, it will be done with. Yeah, we Rick and I really agree when it comes down to it. After hours and hours of arguing and debating, we end up believing in almost the same way. You know, I just think the timing is different between us. I I see this playing out right away. You know, I see us being right there within ten, twenty years, something like that. Um, I know that Obama uh, in the health care bill, it does indeed. I couldn't believe it, but it does indeed call for everybody in the system to receive an implant. And I wow, that's amazing. Have you read that? No, I haven't. I actually downloaded the bill from the government website and found it. I couldn't wow. believe it. I couldn't believe my ears. And so I found it, and it's in there. Uh, well, Obama's seventy-two Satanist. You know, he uh, he carries around all these little like monkey god symbols and stuff. I've heard him refer to seventy-two. Uh, in his, he goes to this gay club called Man's Country. Have you heard about that? No. Yeah, I heard something about like some weird stuff about him, but I, you know, I, I yeah, he goes to this place surprising. called Man's Country. And let me just finish. They have the one room where they go and uh, do their acts among men. It's called Room Eleven. Oh no! For real? Yes. Oh read, no! Read, read Wade Ma- Wade uh, Wayne Madsen's uh, report on that. Could you repeat that again for the edification of not only me but the listening audience? So, Man's Country is a gay club in Chicago, and both uh, our president and Rahm Emanuel are part of it. Oh I'll no! Be, I'm sorry, but I had to laugh. It just the room that they go to, where the you know, there's all kinds of different uh, themed rooms, but the homosexual room that they go to is room number eleven. That's the room number, and you can I actually see it. Up. You can see it on their website. I have that somewhere stored in my little Obama files. Uh, like they said, they did that right at, uh, they were doing some announcement of that during his inauguration. Uh, uh something like some big party, uh, you know, when he, I guess it was, it was a party on the day of his inauguration that was part of the thing that he, they were inviting him to go to. I, I read that and I went, wow. In room 11. That's just Pretty terrible. Disgusting. Hey, I want to ask one more question before we go though. Uh, what, Maybe write the book. That's what I oh, want to know. That's a good question. I think that uh, it was just I come up with information that I thought was important. I thought that everybody should know it. I saw a spiritual under uh, an evil spiritual influence on the event, and nobody was talking about it. Uh, nobody in the uh, Christian institutional Christian community. I mean, there were maybe some independent researchers on the internet, but I thought it was information that should get out there. And uh, I, that's what these are my conclusions. So, you know, you can take them. Uh, however you want, but for me, uh, it was a inside job, and there's a satanic element to it, so that's why I wrote it. Well, I, I'm in full agreement with you, William. 
Um, there's a guy. There's a guy that has a movie out called "They Sold Their Souls for Rock and Roll." And have you seen that? Have you watched that I've movie? I've seen parts of it. Is that the guy is Schimmel? Is yeah, right? he has a whole thing on Aleister Crowley. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, yeah, that's, he's that's like a one, great one, series. Yeah, that's pretty good. His his is pretty good. Is he was like he's a metalhead like me, uh, like me of course. And I was really I wasn't into Aleister Crowley or all that stuff either. I just I thought it was really stupid because uh, I didn't you know I knew the difference between superstition and reality and all the other stuff. I you know and I used to argue with you know with uh, kids about it because of course. I, I've all my life been an analytical skeptic, mm-hmm. you know, and I already know that scripture is the only thing that is that is truth and sufficient for truth. And I, I don't know why I always believe that, but I know I know why because the Lord, you know, I believe, you know, I'm, I would have been chosen and elected. So he, even when I was singing against them, uh, he, uh, you know, he, that was instilled in me. But it's like, uh, what was I going to try to say? I was oh, say, you're a skeptic, and I just like to say Andrew needs to get going here, but. I'd just like to say that um, Rick's a skeptic, and uh, but uh, you know, brother William, we love you on the Iron Show, and uh, don't let that ruffle your feathers, because uh, oh, I'm not enjoyed it. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Some of the information's troubling. I think that discussions of Satanism and political events is uh, out there and strange, but uh, I think that the at the end of the day, uh, I think people should find uh, recourse in reading the Bible and uh, returning to God and. Uh, uh, following the uh, entreaties of Jesus Christ that are written in the King James Bible, so there is a there is a response and there is a, a place to find a place of peace and security. I love that. Rick loves that too, perfect. don't you, Rick? Yeah, it's perfect. Yeah, well, you know, I, I think it's all cool anyway. You know, I don't like I said, I don't knock people that are into anything or want to bring anything to the table. I don't. I think it's all cool, actually. You know, and uh, d- discuss it and, and get into all that stuff. And I'm glad that you wrote a book like that because, you know, we do need more information about certain things. So people, you know, especially our youth, they, they try to venture into this Alistair Crowley and Dungeons and Dragons. Remember those days? And, and even the video games that are going on that are probably Crowley influenced, believe it or not. And I believe right. that, too. Uh, he could, I do believe that he had a lot of influence on the 60s and the 70s. And I think, and like you, I do believe he had a major influence because look, come on, he's Sergeant Pepper. You yeah, know? right, right. So I, Twenty years ago today, Sergeant Pepper taught the band. I wish I had your yeah. find your book. I'm going to find your book so I can have it, so I can read it. It's on Kindle can, and it's on my website www.occult911.com. So you can order oh. it there. I have a PDF copy, or you can get it as a Kindle book. But oh, yeah, um, sure. so I go to your website, Occult911. Correct. I, and then I just order it from there. Yes, sir. You can download okay. it as a PDF, too. I think you'd really enjoy it, Richard. I think it'd be a great book for you. And it's, you know, there's a lot of other information that we didn't cover today, but you get a, a much more detailed understanding of a pers- of a very complex character's life. So, And you're going to be back, too. I'd love to. Absolutely. Fantastic. Good. I'm going to have mercy on you and let you go, because I know we're gonna, we would go back and forth with you all day if somebody oh, didn't yeah. stop it. Let's end our uh, Iron Show with our traditional one, two, three, goodbye. Okay. And are you ready, Rick? Yes, I am ready. Are you willing? Yes. I am willing. And we'll keep, we're keeping you in prayer and uh, keep Thank all you. of us in prayer. Let's all keep praying for each other to continue the Iron Show and the William Ramsey's stuff that it touches the souls for Christ because Christ, is he. it's all about him. Amen. Anyway, so. Amen. Amen to that. Iron Show, goodbye. Are you ready, Rick? Finally.
<laughs> I'm ready, Captain. <laughs> One, two, two three. three. Goodbye. Hey, hey, William, are you still there? Yeah, I'm still there. <laughs> go away, Johnny. He has to go. <laughs> they done in your head. Oh, Mr. Crowley. Did you talk to the dead?